to the heavenly banquet where the hungry are filled with good things. Before we get to this week's reading, I want to invite you all to join us at the Roundtable. That's our substack. You can subscribe at heavenlybanquet.com. At the Roundtable, you'll find additional prayers and musings and opportunities to interact with Chad and me and other listeners. So come on down to the Roundtable at heavenlybanquet.com and let us know how you're doing and what you think. This week's reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya that belong to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does it mean? But others sneered and said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show portents in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pentecost is a sort of reversal of the divine action at Babel, or perhaps it's more of an augmentation. As you recall, God was frustrated with humanity at Babel because of our refusal to obey the commandment given to Noah and his descendants to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. We instead remained a fairly homogenous people, 
abiding in the same city, and you might think that this uniformity would be a good thing. Folks are communicating. They seem to be getting along. It appears to be the picture of a thriving, loving human family. So what's the big deal? Well, the people in this uniformity have all committed themselves to a fruitless endeavor, trying to build a tower to heaven. Yes, they're all of one mind, but they're all of one mind to do something utterly useless and stupid. So God intervenes and puts them back on course. God scatters them across the earth and gives them a multitude of languages, not as some punishment for building the tower. God's not worried that folks are going to start showing up at her doorstep. It's not a punishment, but a correction. God is setting humanity back on the course God intended when God commanded us to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. Diversity was always God's plan for humanity, and it was a plan that was so crucial that God directly intervened to make it happen when we didn't. And it's that diversity, the kaleidoscope of the human experience, that is preserved here in the Pentecost story. People from every known time and place, people even whose clans had long died out, became witnesses to the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit. And get this, it would have been really easy for the Holy Spirit to have just improved the disciples' Greek so that they could more convincingly address a diverse crowd in the common language of the day. That would have been a true reversal of the Babel story, uniting everyone through one language. But instead, the Holy Spirit appears as divided tongues of flame and empowers the disciples to speak in other languages, to testify to Christ in a vast multitude of expressions, representative of the vast multitude of people assembled that day. Y'all, God loves that multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic mass of humanity. God created us with the intention that we would scatter and multiply and fill the earth, each of us precious and loved, but also each of us carrying the image of God in us and carrying that image in ways that are as manifold and wondrous and various as God's own self-expression. The image of God doesn't come in one language or culture or nationality. It's found in all of us. And God's purpose from the beginning seems to be a multifaceted humanity that then best reflects the magnitude of God in its variation. And so, not in Greek, but in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. This is how much God values the image of God imbued in us, even as unique individuals. We don't each seem to be simple reflections of God's image, as though each of us were a mirror. The story of Babel, the story of Pentecost, the story throughout Acts of an ever-expansive kingdom of heaven, all of those stories depict us more collectively as a sort of disco ball, with each mirrored facet reflecting some aspect of God's being into the world. It's almost like... The vastness of the divine nature can't be contained in any one person's culture or language or experience. And so we need each other. 
We need each other. We need that diversity of voices, that diversity of perspectives and experience to keep us from the fruitless pursuits of building towers to heaven instead of the kingdom of God. But it's more than that. The commandment to love our neighbor as ourself doesn't spring from God's desire that we somehow tolerate each other. Loving our neighbor is what benefits us. It's what's good for us. We love God by loving one another, and through loving one another, we learn more and more about the God who created each and every one of us. That's why things like music, art, literature, travel, learning other languages, listening to other people's stories, that's why anything that broadens our understanding of the human experience ultimately broadens our understanding of God. It's also why anything that cuts us off from one another actually cuts us off from the image of God in others, actually limits our understanding of who God is. So that's why I beg the folks, the folks who are not moved by the violence committed against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, transgendered women, black men, immigrants, cisgendered women, gays, lesbians, everybody in the alphabet mafia, folks who are not moved by that violence and the hardships that those people face, well, what they don't realize is that racism, sexism, xenophobia, homophobia, and transphobia hurt them as well. Because those fears, that hate, those attempts to separate themselves from others or to put themselves above them, those things limit and distort their understanding of who God is by limiting and distorting their perception of the image of God in the fullness of humanity. Let me take this opportunity to be plain about something. Too often, folks attempt to distinguish homophobia from racism or sexism as something justified as a reaction to someone's lifestyle rather than an aspect of their inherent personhood. That not only ignores the broad scientific consensus that homosexuality, that, well, a broad spectrum of sexuality, is a natural trait in humanity and, well, throughout the animal kingdom, throughout God's creation, but it limits our understanding of others solely to their sexuality, which is a weird way to define any of us. Homophobia is a sin. It is a conscientious separation from people based on the way God created them. And well, that's ultimately an insult to their creator, to our God, because God doesn't make trash. God loves all of God's creatures and has fashioned each of us with God's own image. Just as we then love God by loving one another, we insult God, we reject God when we hurt each other. If you think that people need to repent for who they love, I urge you to consider repenting for those you refuse to love. God loves us as individuals and as a multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic mass of humanity. God created us with the intention that we would scatter and multiply and fill the earth, each of us precious and loved, but also each of us carrying the image of God in us and carrying that image in ways that are as manifold and wondrous and various as God's own self-expression. 
And so Jesus welcomes Jews and Gentiles into the kingdom of God. He welcomes Canaanites and Syrophoenicians, Romans and Greeks, Ethiopian eunuchs and imperial centurions. He welcomes farmers and fishers and tax collectors and sex workers and entrepreneurs and widows and orphans and lepers and children. And he welcomes people of every shade of skin and every language and every nation and every gender identity and sexuality. He welcomes sinners and saints. He welcomes the come-heres and the from-heres. He welcomes even us. He welcomes all of us because he made us all. This is the blessing of Pentecost, that we are affirmed in our diversity, not uniformity. That I was created good, that you were created good, and that together we are even better, more perfectly reflective of the image of God in community than alone.